As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to the England Show podcast from The Athletic. England walloped Ukraine 4-0, a result that really was never in doubt, and now they require just two home wins to clinch Euro glory. Joining me as dawn breaks in England on this glorious Sunday morning are Flo Lloyd-Hughes and Ollie Kay, as well as the Athletics England correspondent Jack Pitbrook, who is watching the Italian sunrise having attended Rome's Stadio Olimpico on Saturday night. and lots of England possession. Sterling's got it through to Kane now, and Harry Kane has found the net. Well, that didn't take long. Morning, everybody. So, Jack, let's start with you then. You drew the long straw and got to actually be there. How incredible was the atmosphere in the stadium? Yeah, Dan, it was really good fun, actually. It was... um, I was expecting there to be not many England fans at all, but there were... Quite a few. There were more England fans than there were Ukrainian fans, I thought. I don't quite know how they, um, whether they lived in Italy or elsewhere in Europe or somehow snuck their way into the country. But uh, it didn't, obviously it was not like a home game, but it was, you know, you could definitely feel the presence of the England fans. And they were having the time of their lives because England were just so good. You know, it was such a comprehensive, complete uh, performance in which England, I think for the first time really, managed to combine controlling the game, keeping a clean sheet, not giving chances away, with at the same time opening up a little bit going forward. Um, you know, we'll get into the reasons for that later on, but it was, yeah, a really special experience for everyone in the stadium, as I'm sure it was for everyone at home. Holly, do you think being in Rome had any kind of positive impact for England at all? Obviously, they won 4-0, but do you think it was anything to do with, with not being at Wembley and being at Rome? Um, I, I would find it hard to say so, because I, th- I think, the, I mean, having been at Wembley for the, the, uh, the Germany game, I felt like that had a, you know, that w- had a really positive impact. And, and it, was a, it, it was a match which you would have said if it was on neutral territory, maybe, um, uh, maybe England would have found it, found it hard to get the extra edge to win that game. So I think I, I thought going out of the, you know, leaving leaving the home comforts at Wembley and lo- losing that home advantage would be um, would be a, a slight handicap for England. I think the, the difference is they're just playing really well. They're full of confidence. And you saw them sort of fly out of the blocks and, and score after four minutes. And it's just, 
so different to the way they started the tournament and, and so different to the well so different to the Scotland game certainly and it just underlines again I think the importance of momentum momentum in tournaments and you look at three of the semi-finalists um, I mean it, it Italy to be fair to them have, have, have played well throughout but Spain and Denmark and England have all started slowly and got better and better and I, I think that's um, that's uh, that is the formula to win a tournament really yeah, and Flo, they certainly didn't start slowly last night. When in Rome, I mean, I've said when in Rome, I'm 35 and I still don't really know what that means. But, you know, three, four minutes and Harry Kane's not messing around. The ball's in the back of the net and it's a perfect start. Yeah, and it was a brilliant finish. It felt like a kind of classic Kane moment off balance, sort of half falling over and manages to finish it. And another great assist from Sterling. And yeah, I actually in the first half after that goal, I was still a bit nervous, but I thought what really capped off how good the performance was was coming out at the start of the second half and getting that early goal in the second half. And then it was it then it really felt like job done because after that there was really no coming back from Ukraine. It felt like they had almost kind of given up in some ways. They they their defending from set pieces was pretty abysmal all second half um, and they probably realised that the the game was beyond them from that point but there were some nervy moments in that first half and all the stats about what happens when England score early and how they don't capitalise on that momentum I thought it was the perfect way to kind of fight back on that and put in such an impressive second half performance Yeah let's just rewind just a tad Jack in the build-up to the game, obviously we got wind that Jadon Sancho was going to be playing. What what was the mood like in the press box around that? What, was it a surprise? Because he, he did a bit like when Saka came into the team. He did kind of come from nowhere. Yeah, I think it was a surprise that Sancho started. You know, he'd only played six minutes in, in England's first four games put together. Um, and the impression was that he was basically bottom of the pecking order of those attacking players. So I wasn't... Um, until the news started to come through the day before the game... I uh, I was, wasn't expecting Sancho to be involved at all, but I think Southgate just he knew that Ukraine were maybe a bit tired. They'd be d- defending deep, but England just wanted a way to, you know, to try and beat them one on one and and get a, someone in who could disrupt their defence a bit. So so that's why he went for Sancho, um, and I, I was excited because you know Sancho's a great player to watch, and I was been a bit disappointed by how little he played, and so in that sense it was a big um, show of faith from Southgate to pick him. Ollie, do you think the positions behind Kane, they're somewhat set in stone, but that, that right wing position, that kind of feels like the one that's up for grabs, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, if the changes in that position, I think if, if England weren't winning and doing well, I think people would say, oh, oh he doesn't know his best team. And, but he's he's going with, I mean, it's horses for courses, really, and it, or it's he's going with the players who are playing best in, sort of looking best in training. And, you know, sometimes it's been Foden, sometimes it's Saka, Grealish, now Sancho. I know people are very sort of, you know, people have their favourites and people insist that this guy should be playing, this guy should be playing, whether it's, you know, Grealish, Sancho, Foden. They're all really, really good. They're all fantastic talents. And, you know, it's not like the ones who aren't starting, you know, it's not like it's some really damning evaluation of them. It's just going with with going form. They've they've got really good options in that position. And I, I... for me, when you know when I heard Saka was playing against um, the Czech Republic, I thought, well, oh, brilliant! You know that that'll be good. Um, the other day, when when um, you know when we heard that Sancho was playing, I, you know, I, I thought, wow, fantastic! You know, he, great talent. He will he will add something, and they're all bringing something. Foden is probably the one who feels a little bit hard done by at the moment because he started the tournament and and has, has sort of figured less and less but I mean it wouldn't wouldn't really be a surprise to anybody if, if he or, or Grealish or anybody else started the um, you know the semi-final because they are Southgate clearly rates them all and they are really pretty much playing for one place Yeah I was going to say it wouldn't surprise me to see Foden come back in for, in for the next game he does just seem to be mixing it up depending on the opposition the system was changed as well back three perhaps put to bed maybe for one or two games flow Back to 4-2-3, well, Mason Mount straight back in the team, operating as a 10 as well. Did you like the formation? Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, this tournament has kind of all been about the left-hand side, really, that link-up between Shaw and Sterling. So as long as that's thriving, it kind of feels like everything else will work anyway. Um, 
I I didn't think there was necessarily a huge difference in I don't I don't think there would have been a huge difference in how England would have played if they'd had a back three last night. I still think it might have been a pretty emphatic victory because it was all about Shaw and Sterling bombing up the pitch together and Sancho getting involved in parts as well. So I think both kind of have worked well and I'd be intrigued to see what's going to happen against Denmark. You're listening to The England Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Let's hear a few words from the camp now. Gareth Southgate was in a jovial mood as he spoke to the press after the game and he showed us once again how he's managing this young, talented group of players. The players have been fantastic and um, yeah, to play as well as they did in a game where there's so much resting on it was, was really um, uh, impressive. It's a strange feeling. I, I'm actually at this moment just thinking of the lads we didn't get on the pitch because the likes of Connor Cody, Ben Chilwell, Sam Johnston, Aaron Ramsdale, they are the ones that are making this team successful because the spirit of the group is phenomenal. Whoever comes in does the job, whoever isn't in, which is really difficult, I have to leave three out of the squad every time. And the squad mentality has been fantastic. And yeah, so at the moment, that's sort of uppermost in my mind, <laughs> looking after those guys. I'm spending more energy worrying about the three I have to leave out the 26, because they're all good players. None of them deserve to be left out. Um, they're all giving everything in training, so none of it is because I don't think they're up to the level. But we have got to make those decisions and we've got to make the right call for the right game and the right system. But all of the players have been brilliant and tonight, right the way through the group, absolutely fantastic. We've known that we had players that physically we needed to look after and we've had to manage and uh, we've been able to introduce those guys in. We know that across seven games the squad is so important and um, trying to give people a breather at the right time and trying to manage that. We learned a lot from Russia in, in that instance. We, we won't have got that perfect and tonight we were trying to balance players that are carrying knocks with players that are on yellow cards and do, do we take the centre back off? No, we think he's okay because we, we've probably got the game sewn up, he won't need to make a tackle. But So all of those things are going through your mind. Um, but. Yeah, look, it's fabulous. It's fabulous for our country. We're in a, a semi-final at Wembley. Um, everybody can can really look forward to that. It's brilliant. Jack, obviously you get to communicate with Gareth Southgate on a, on a fairly regular basis. He just absolutely gets it, doesn't he? Everything he says is just spot on. Yeah, I, I was so struck in the press conference by the fact that his first answer was to think of the players who hadn't even made the bench for this game and to thank them for their... Um, you know their application, their commitment to the group, uh, rather than just saying, "Oh yeah, didn't we play well? Aren't, aren't, aren't Harry Kane and Sterling really good players?" Um, and I think that just speaks volumes to Southgate's, you know, his kind of human qualities, his his interest in the team ethos, uh, and the fact that he has a great amount of sympathy with the players who are, you know, having a, what I imagine is a fairly difficult time at the moment. You know training very hard never getting never getting on the pitch seeing players uh playing in place of them uh, but then south this is something Southgate's always been really big on you know he's always talked about how he felt at tournaments you know for example i think it was world cup 2002 where he went and didn't play and how frustrating he found it as a player and that's why for his, you know for example at the last world cup he was very keen to bring in players who hadn't played and give them a few minutes if he could which is why he made all those changes when england lost one nil to Belgium and Kaliningrad in that dead rubber in the group stage. So, yeah, I was really, I was really uh, touched by the fact that Southgate's first thoughts after the game were for the guys who didn't have any involvement at all. It's an interesting point that you say there, Jack. Ollie, do you think that's a a key reason for the way Southgate's managed this England team and why morale in the camp always seems so high is that he draws on those previous tournament experiences as a player? Yeah, I, I think um, when when we when we look at an England manager, I think we we always sort of obsess about what um, yeah who they're picking and what what the results are, and and we're we're very quick to judge them on. Well, people are very quick to judge them even before the games on 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 the team selection. But I think what Southgate does brilliantly is is manage manage the squad, manage the group, manage the atmosphere around the around the team, and and he's just been. I mean, I've. I mean, in terms of England managers in in the last 
two decades since, since I've been a journalist, I don't think anybody has been anything like as successful in terms of actually just managing the mood around the, around the team and, and managing the message, controlling the message, controlling the the emotions within the group. It's, it's, it's so, I mean, it probably doesn't sound like rocket science, but he, he's, he's just so good at all of that. Everything, every, everything he says publicly is, um, is perfect. It's perfectly measured, is perfectly delivered. And, you know, the, the, I mean, always saying he, he's a better decision maker, better strategist, better tactician coach than Fabio Capello. Sven Eriksson probably not, but in terms of fitting this this job, and and at this particular time, he's done it. He's doing it perfectly. I mean, if people look at how few tournament games and how few knockout games England have won over the decades since '66, it's what what Southgate, Southgate's results on that on that. Um, measurement are, are off the chart really yeah that's, that's very very true and Flo we saw him talking to Jack Grealish whispering in his ear after the game as well obviously didn't get on the pitch what do you think he was saying to him um, I think he was probably saying Dan is a big fan of <laughs> yeah, your work yeah got to get you in to come and see you do <laughs> come on follows. Um no I actually saw a really nice post that Jack Grealish put up um, of a picture of him and Shevchenko actually after the game, and he kind of implied that Shevchenko was sort of whispering in his ear saying that he's an amazing player or something. But I think, although Grealish does seem like a kind of lovable class clown character, he also actually shows a lot of maturity in a sense that I think it's easy if you were in his position, just like Sancho has been as well, to kind of throw your toys out the pram a little bit and think... You know, I impressed so much in those friendlies. 75% of England fans are utterly obsessed with me and chanting my name for the full 90 minutes. And I still can't get a start. I mean, it would be so easy to be like, screw you guys, this is so unfair. But I think he's showed a lot of maturity in the sense that he's realised his role in the team and how much impact he can have off the bench. And he's taking games on without being chaotic, without just kind of running around like a madman. And you know, it'd be so easy to come on and try and be the hero. But when he has come on, he has been impactful, but in the right way. And I think he's shown a lot of maturity in that way. And I, I think it's great that he's accepting that he's not going to play necessarily a huge part in terms of minutes in this tournament, but the role that he he's gonna play is gonna be really, really kind of monumental in how England do. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Jack, all the players seem to be enjoying themselves. There's a great togetherness, as we've already alluded to. Gareth Southgate spoke to Alan Shearer after the game. I don't know whether you heard. And Shearer asked him whether he was enjoyed it. And he, he said, no, <laughs> he must be sure. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I feel like Southgate is actually... I think he's quite... I, f- I just think he's incredibly focused on the job at hand. I think he's not... One of the great strengths of Southgate is that he even though he enjoys this great kind of communion with the public he doesn't he doesn't he's not a kind of he's not a sort of, he's not a victim of the emotions of the public either he's not like 
he's not he doesn't get wrapped up in the mood at home you know people at home would say pick pick Grealish pick Sancho but you know he Southgate picks the team that he thinks is the right team for the game at the same time I don't think he is getting too wrapped up in the the kind what I imagine I mean I don't know what it's like in the UK at the moment I imagine it's absolutely crazy but I don't feel like Southgate would get would get too involved in that whereas you know Kevin Keegan for example I imagine would get very emotional had England been able to get to a semi-final under his management so I uh I just think Southgate is probably very busily planning for Denmark and he'll, he'll enjoy it later on I also think he not not to be like rude to to dads but he doesn't really engage in social media I don't think at all and although he's got a very young squad who are on Instagram a lot or on Twitter a lot um on Snapchat and stuff like that. I, I just don't think Southgate is really kind of that tuned into like technology and social media. So that probably helps him kind of stay level-headed because he's not seeing the videos from Box Park. He's not seeing people absolutely lose their heads and like climb on top of London buses because he just doesn't see it because he probably doesn't really watch the news either because he just wants to tune out. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, Flo, he is actually on Twitter. I don't know, um, he has a sort of dormant Twitter account. I'm looking at it now. His last tweet was April the 18th, 2015. Best of luck, Yorkshire Jets, for semi-finals today. Good luck, Natalie <laughs> Simone, for Sky Player of the Season. It's all about it's all about the Yorkshire Jets netball team last, last time he was engaged on, on Twitter. I think. Very, very dad behaviour. <laughs> netball is very, Paul Scholes is a netball dad as well. <laughs> Gary Neville, I think, is a netball dad, so very dad behaviour. <laughs> it's, it's come a long way since those days tweeting about netball in 2015. Sterling. Shaw. Kane! Ukraine blown away! England on their way! Ollie, do you remember those days last week when people were questioning Harry Kane? Well, he's answered his critics, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I mean... He's one of those players that I don't think you can ever write off or dismiss without realising that he's going to make you look very silly sooner rather than later. If England's Euro 2020 had ended after, you know, had ended after the Germany game and he hadn't scored, people would have been saying, look, he's had a he's had a terrible tournament. What's wrong with him? Is it, is it the transfer saga? Is it his fitness? Is he passed it? He's, he has these patches in a season uh, at Spurs where... He looks a bit cumbersome. He's not getting the service. He uh, and and people will ask questions about him, but as soon as he clicks again, and it sometimes just takes a goal. Sometimes it takes somebody putting a chance on a plate for him, as as Grealish did the other day. He's he just clicks, and he looks like you know one of the best centre forwards in the world, which he is. The goals he took yesterday were were, were great, but I, I look at the the left foot volley he oh. struck in the second half, which was just such an amazing hit and. I don't think he would have done that three games ago or two games ago. I, I don't think, you know, in that Scotland game where he was looked like he was sort of running through treacle at times, he, he, I don't think he would have managed to catch that so sweetly, so confidently. Might, maybe he could have done it in training, but maybe the pressure around around him in those earlier matches was starting to tell. But he's now playing like somebody with a... Uh, a weight off his shoulders, as as they all are. And, and you know, the, they've probably got... I mean, Southgate probably is going to. Act, I mean, I know he says he's agonising over which players to leave out of his um, twenty-three for the next game, but it it must be so difficult to get the balance right when you've got sort of seventeen, eighteen players who all look really, really good and 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 all look like potential starters um, in a semi-final. Jack, you obviously write about Harry Kane a fair amount and as Ollie said he does have these patches like the August jinx where he might not score a goal and it does just take that one goal for lift off sometimes with him doesn't it yeah it's 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 an interesting example of, of just how influential confidence can be rather than uh rather than other factors you know in in the group stage people would say oh he's not fit he must have problems with his ankles or or uh you know people look for kind of uh rational for want of a better word explanations for why Kane's not not doing that well and then the Germany game frankly he was pretty rubbish in the Germany game at least for about 70 minutes of it and that moment when he kind of went down in that collision with Hummels and everyone was everyone around us was saying you know get him off get him off get Rashford on and then he scores that header and he's a completely different player the performance he put in against 
Ukraine is just not a performance that he would have put in if he was low in confidence. You know, making that clever little run in behind to get on the end of Sterling's pass after three minutes. Uh, taking on that inc- that ludicrous left foot volley, which obviously forced the corner, which I think Henderson then headed in. But that, that that's the kind of thing that Kane does when he's on at the peak of his confidence. And it just shows that the transformative power of that header against Germany. You know, he he he's such a goal scorer that you know for him to score a goal is just it just changes him it just completely alters how how he plays on the pitch and it's uh, it, it's quite amazing to see kind of confident kane after a few de- a few games of seeing a pretty like miserable version of kane instead a light run for the golden bootfler yeah definitely definitely and i think it's interesting because the the golden boot he got in 2018 i think a lot of people maybe thought he didn't deserve it and it'll be interesting because he's kind of given us flashes in what um 100 100-ish minutes of of football that where he's put in really a really good performance i mean i i think in those first couple of games like he still played a role he still served a purpose in that team but we weren't quite used to seeing the cane that that we've seen before but yeah for him to like have a good chance at taking the golden boot by putting in kind of three good performances, I think is, you know, just kind of shows up what a kind of big game, if you want to use the word clutch, clutch player he is, because he's just can do it at the big moments. Yeah, and Ollie, we've, we've all had different journeys, to, to be honest, podcast, and we saw in The Athletic that all the players have had different journeys in terms of getting themselves into the into the England squad. Few are probably more deserving than Luke Shaw at the moment. The, the tough few years he's had, the bad injuries that he's had, and he's, he's coming to this side of this summer. And I, I think he's been a real, real plus point for England. Yeah, he has. I mean, I, I was just the, the, the improvement that he's shown at, at Manchester United over the last couple of years is enormous. I, I, you know, I, I know everybody sort of talks about the, the Jose Mourinho relationship and, and, and how you know he struggled under Mourinho's management but he he struggled for a, a few years when he uh, after his after his broken leg really I, I thought it looked like he was never going to get back to the you know, really exciting attacking confident young fullback who actually when he was what, 17 18 to, kept um kept Ashley Cole out of the um out of the 2014 World Cup squad I mean he, he was so good as, as a young player at Southampton and um we're now seeing him fulfill his his potential which probably sounds Daft to say it when he's when he's someone who's been around for so long, but he's only he's only twenty five. He's only played fourteen times for England, and if you look back, you know, two or three years to the, the competition at left back, he was way 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 down the pecking order, and that was that reflected his form. And his form now is has been so good for Manchester United this season. It's been so good at the um, at the Euros for England, and and he, even. He's very good on the overlap and 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 hitting those first time crosses. But something like his set piece delivery, I, I never saw him as a great corner taker or free kick taker at, at all. The last the previous few seasons, but over the last twelve months or so, that has really come on. That has really become a a part of his game, and I think that just shows. I mean, that that's practice. That's that's dedication to self improvement and and dedication to getting better and. He, he is a far, far better player now than he was two, three years ago. Yeah, flow from left-back. He's actually one of England's biggest threats when you take into account the set players that Ollie's just mentioned as well. I don't know, I don't like using this word, but he's really swashbuckling down that left side. Yeah, I think alongside Sterling, I think he's been our best and most consistent player in this tournament. And kind of just to echo what Ollie said, I just appreciate the way he's kind of flipped the narrative on his head. I mean, you can imagine an athletic long read about, you know, what happened to Luke Shaw and he's kind of flipped the narrative of a young player with a lot of hype who gets a big move and it doesn't work out completely on its head because he's kind of revolutionised himself. And to do that all with the backdrop of basically being like bullied and fat shamed by your own manager and people on social media is pretty incredible. So I have so much respect for the guy. Thought he had a fantastic season and I just think it's amazing that he's managed to carry that into to this summer because I think, you know, people were impressed with him this season at United, but I don't think people saw that he was going to play as big a part as he did. And if Chilwell hadn't have had to go into isolation, he perhaps would have played 
in that Czech Republic game, we're, we're not really sure what, what would have happened there. And I think a lot of people expected Chilwell to be the, the starting left wing back or, or left back, however Southgate wanted to play. So I just think it's amazing that Shaw's basically made himself the him and Sterling and Kane are kind of like the guaranteed starters really on the on the on the team sheet and maybe six months ago not many people would have thought that was going to be the case well Flo as, as chance would have it there is a Luke Shaw read out on the Athletic at the oh. moment a, a piece from Dan Taylor I've not read it myself yet but I've been told that there is a piece there so yeah if you're interested in finding out more about Luke Shaw's journey go and read that piece Jack I don't know whether this came across actually at the stadium I'm imagining it will have done because it came across on the TV but the relationships are starting to build. Like Sterling just seemed to know that Luke Shaw was going to be there on the overlap last night, and he'd play these clever little little balls for Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw would just pop up, and it's that's what happens as you get further into a tournament. Relationships tend to develop. Yeah, completely. I absolutely loved that um, the Harry Kane header goal, where it was such a it was such a simple move, but where Sterling kind of flicked the ball behind him to Shaw on the overlap to put the cross in for Kane. Uh, and those two are, I mean, you can tell, as Flo was saying, you can, what's so impressive is so is how integrated Shaw is into England's attacking play. Like, uh, the way he obviously had a big role in England's two goals against Germany last Tuesday, um, which is, you know, testament, testament to both his, you know, his kind of, his energy and his ability to keep being part of attacking moves late on in the game, but also just his, uh, his technical skill and his imagination. But I... There were there are, there have been times recently where England and particularly when they attack with Shaw and Sterling down the left they do actually they are starting to look a little, little bit like a club team which is always a good sign it's always a sign of an international team that's clicking really well because obviously you know the very nature of international football is that the players don't quite combine as naturally or as smoothly as they do for club sides because clubs get to train together all the time. So that Shaw and Sterling thing on the right, on sorry, on the left is fantastic. Obviously, naturally, we don't quite have the same thing on the right just because we play different players in that position, both different right backs, different right wingers. Um, but I, I think, yeah, it's uh, particularly the way that the way that Shaw goes down the outside and then Sterling cuts in from the left and runs straight at defenders is a really good combo. Yeah, and I also think, you know, I don't think Carl Walker's had the best tournament. I think he does play a lot better when England play in a back three and I thought last night he didn't look great um and I think that's kind of helped not helped Luke Shaw but I kind of it's made him stand out because England are relying on the left hand side a lot because the right which maybe in previous tournaments would have been a really threatening outlet for them isn't quite working with with Walker there I mean he's doing his usual kind of like bombing up the field at ridiculous pace but then it kind of like stops the, the you know the final ball the, the final piece of the puddle puzzle kind of like just evaporates so I just think it's very good to know that whatever happens that I mean if you know Denmark uh, you know should really target that shouldn't they target that left side and try and kind of break it down a little bit because it's just so lethal and then when you add kind of Grealish to that mix as well if he comes on and plays there it's just so so good yep good very valid point Ollie, I mean, it was the perfect night for England. I think as knockout football goes, it probably doesn't get much better than that, as comfortable and comprehensive as it was. But England managed to avoid the yellow card jeopardy as well. They got to make the five subs. The one thing I wanted to ask you about the five subs was Jordan Henderson getting his first international goal and how much it looked like it meant to him. That was a great moment for someone who who is a massive figure in the squad and a really, really superb leader in the game. Yeah, yeah, I, I was really pleased for him. I mean, he's, he's a very, very impressive performer, very impressive guy, the way he handles himself and what he does in on and off the pitch at, at Liverpool. Um, it's amazing, really, to have had so many appearances for England and, and not scored. Um, I mean, he's been getting closer and closer, hasn't he, the last, the last few games was the penalty against Romania, which he... Uh, infamously missed, and then there was the the, the disallowed goal um, against oh, was it Czech Republic? I can't, I, it feels so long ago, but it was. Um, it's uh, yeah, he, he's he's got. I mean, he's never going to be a sort of goal every three games man, but he 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 does threaten from from midfield for 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 Liverpool, and and he's been doing that for England. It's it's going to be. I I feel like that is. I know most focus will probably be on the um, on who fills that right wing position on, on, on Wednesday but I think there's probably a part of Southgate which thinks he wants to bring Henderson back into the um, back, back into the starting level for these games but I think that would have been his instinct 
earlier in the tournament, but what you know, once Henderson got sort of built up fitness, but Phillips and Rice are playing so well that it's really hard to to make a, a call like that. So um, I, I think that's that's definitely one to watch. But yeah, it's 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 really healthy for competition, healthy competition for bases. Whereas at previous tournaments, you you've kind of thought, oh goodness me, who have we got anybody that's going to fill that position? Have we got any want to fill that position? Whereas at the moment, as I say, there are probably 17, 18 players that you could make a really strong case for starting. Yeah, I think you'll almost be glad that you missed that penalty now because getting your first international goal actually in a knockout game probably means that little bit more than bagging a, a cheap penalty in a, in a friendly. So I think you'll almost be glad you missed now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Jack as well, he was obviously Henderson scoring from a set piece. Set piece England are back, which is a nice thing to say. Yeah, yeah, it was like the good old days. Yeah, the glory years. What wasn't it? It was like the twenty eighteen World Cup. Uh the I I think the delivery in the in the last few games wasn't so good. It was much, much better today. Um Mount Shaw, really good. I think in the the England struggled a little bit when uh when when they've changed personnel a bit and they haven't been able to have their best set piece takers out there. But yeah, last night fantastic. Obviously, the Maguire one was actually reminiscent of England's last time they were in a quarter final, which of course was the two 0 win against Sweden in Samara in twenty eighteen, where uh, Maguire scored that huge header. And uh, I think last night's wasn't quite as powerful as that one. But it, Maguire does have to have this amazing knack of uh, heading the ball so powerfully you think the ball is going to explode. Or uh, and that's what he did yesterday. I mean, no one can compete. No other country can compete with the uh, the force that he managed to generate. The force he manages to generate through his uh, big head and big neck. So uh, good for him. Yeah, just as as the ball came in, actually, I said I said to well, just before the ball was about to come in, I said to my dad, Harry Maguire looks twice the size of everyone else in that penalty box. And then literally a second later, he has used that big head to, to put the ball in the back of the net. But it, it was good to get that set-piece mentality back because it was such a big part of the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, and it's something Southgate has been talking about all tournament. Is the one thing he's been really disappointed with was how England haven't been scoring or been threatening from set-pieces. So to to do that last night, I think, adds, adds, is a big boost because they're going to need to be absolutely clinical in the semi-final. And then if they get through to the final and they're going to play Spain or Italy, I mean, against either of those sides, I think Spain's maybe the better option of the two, but you're going to have to be absolutely clinical and just take every single chance that comes your way. So I think it's, it's just great to see a kind of like free-scoring free-flowing England because the one well, yeah really the one criticism that lots of fans have had this tournament is they just felt like at, at times they've been playing within themselves or kind of South Bates, Southgate's been holding them back whereas they were kind of let loose especially in that second half yeah and Ollie, I don't know how you feel but I'm coming on podcasts and you're obviously doing writing as well and I'm I'm using terminology and talking about things to do with England that I'm just not used to doing in, in my lifetime. They're, they're words and things that I've never, ever done. And control is, is a big thing. But England have also gone the longest period they've ever gone in tournament football without conceding a goal. And it it, it does... I mean, I'm absolutely cursing it and we're bound to concede in the semi-final now. But it, it does feel like we're never going to concede a goal ever again. Yeah, it's a, I mean, apart from one or two minor scares, it never really seemed likely last night, did it? And, and you know, apart from the... The Muller chance on on um, you know in the Germany game it didn't seem likely then either. It's they have been they have been controlled. They have looked very very solid, very organised. I think we've probably raved about most of the players in, in, in the team at some stage, but I I think one who hasn't had the credit he deserves is John Stones, who I think has been just so dependable, composed. He's been just people always have that thing that John Stones has got a mistake in him and and. He does, you know, he, he has made mistakes in his career. He has, you know, that you always feel like, yeah, that might happen because he he does take certain risks in possession. But he's been so good. His defending 
one on one defending penalty box defending has been so good, but he's also his use of the use of the ball, the understanding he's built up with Maguire, but also previously with with Mings in the first couple of games. Um, he's been really really good, and you know, sort of, I think he's one that we might be talking about in terms of team of the tournament um, in, in in a week's time. Um, but yeah, the, the whole thing looks so organised. Like I, I've felt going into the tournament that. England had a weakness at central defence and maybe had a weakness in terms of the the, the, the midfield. I thought that a lot of their strengths were um, in, in attacking positions, wide positions, fullback positions. But the but no, the, 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 I've been I've been wrong because they've been um, they've been so solid, dependable, and um, yeah, organised, composed. All those all those words that we don't normally um, associate with England at tournaments. Yeah, it's going to sound like I'm saying it just because you've said it, but I've actually got John Stones down as, as England's player of the tournament so far. He's he's played every minute, I think, and he's he's just been so so dependable, like you say. Jack, there was a bit of showboating at the end of the game. The OLAs came out, and we did see a little little bit of the side of what could happen if you switch off because it, it did look like actually they they may ruin that clean sheet momentum that they've got going when Pickford was kicking the ball all over the place towards the end of the second half. Yeah, I, I I was thinking when is a safe time to start the Olays because it was I think about eighty three minutes four nil up. Like I've heard it much earlier than that in club games, um, which is bad. And if you do that, if if you if you like if you're if the fans are Olaying at sort of two nil on seventy minutes, you deserve to lose. But I thought in last night it was fine. I I actually thought yeah. I mean to be honest, it was another game in which England didn't really concede any big chances you know Pickford made what kind of quite a good save in the first half from is it Uramchuk the number nine um and then there was that one kind of skewed kick but that's not I mean that was a mistake by England that wasn't really a chance that Ukraine created so again it's testament to England's amazing defensive record it's kind of bizarre isn't it five five games five clean sheets Muller the only really big chance that we that England have conceded Obviously, Pickford's made a few good saves, you know, especially against Germany. They had to make saves. But generally speaking, England have been... Def- I, I, I literally cannot remember an England team as defensively good like this. I'm sure there, there has never been one in a comparable era. So, yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, Flo, I remember doing podcasts with you at the, at the, at the I mean, It feels like it was years ago now with the friendlies when we were talking about England and that it was a bit safe, it was a bit boring. But we now actually say that those games were the groundwork in, in making that solid defence. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember at the time we were all kind of questioning why Southgate was putting out teams that probably weren't going to be the teams that started in the tournament. Um, But it hasn't really affected them that much. I mean, I guess the the grounding was in some of the players that were playing um, at the back and and that's kind of worked out. But yeah, I mean, it's funny, hey, our football coaches know more than us, isn't it? It's a funny old world. Yeah, I quite frequently get things wrong. I remember, I remember on one of these podcasts questioning Jordan Pickford before the before the tournament, and he's obviously conceded zero goals so far. So that quite... I, the only thing I would say with Pickford, though, I think you saw flashes with that dodgy kick. I mean, at club football level, how many times do you see keepers do dodgy kicks like that? At least once in a game, really, I'd say. But you did see the first signs of how much a mistake affects Pickford. Like on his, on he took it. He was so hard on himself, like fully, like you fucking idiot, screaming at himself. And I think it was flashes there of like, oh god, like the old Pickford coming out, really being too hard on himself. How is he going to recover from what in reality was a pretty minor mistake in the end, in the grand scheme of things, and by his levels, actually not that important. But you just saw the first signs of God. Pickford does kind of lose his head still at times, and and. I think hopefully, you know, Stones, Maguire, others around him can be like, mate, it's okay. You know, if that's going to be his one as well during this tournament, it's it's all good. But you just saw maybe the first flashes of that. Yes, you used this point to just flag some of the great stuff that's going on on the Athletic at the moment. What's been floating your boat? So the two things I want to mention are, I wrote a piece this morning about the game, or which we published last night, just about Caden and Sterling and what a good combination they are. And how I think, you know, if they have a good next few days, they could be England's greatest ever strike force. I certainly think they're our best strike force in Shearer and Sheringham. Um, and I also don't really think that and there's anyone else in the tournament quite like them. I, you know, as good as Italy and Spain are, um, I don't think. And and Denmark, they haven't got players like Kane and Sterling. But the one thing that I did really enjoy reading this week that I wanted to talk about was 
uh, Jaden Sancho piece by Ollie, um, which we published a day or two ago, just talking through Sancho's amazing rise and how, you know, he's had this kind of quite curious career already from Watford to City to Dortmund to Man United. And uh, yeah, if you want to know more about Sancho and why he is so highly rated, even if we don't haven't seen that much of him in England so far, I definitely recommend Ollie's piece. Yeah, I've not read that one yet, so I'll make sure I'll go and check that out, Ollie. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, thank you, Jack. But it was um, I, I was just going to mention a, a piece that I'd done on um, ahead of the Denmark game. Um, I spoke to Kim Vilfort, who scored their winning goal in in 1992, and um, I think he's he's sort of a, a figure that probably appears on you know in terms of the um, the sort of social media generation people will think you know might know the name because he scored that winning goal but he he has a had a remarkable story of a, the tragedy that was going on in his life at that particular stage and and I, I spoke to him about that and about um, sort of balancing the. The, the sporting fairy, fairy tale with the, the human tragedy and it was it was very sad but I think people would hopefully um, uh, yes enjoy that in a, in, a, in a quiet moment it sounds like a, a pertinent read and uh, Flo I don't want to get ahead too much ahead of ourselves here but Michael Cox has done a piece on Spinazzola and how much of a miss he's going to be for Italy like, as I say I don't want to just assume England are going to be in the final because that would be stupid but he will be a massive miss for Italy in the, in the remaining games that they have because he's been one of the players of the tournament. Yeah, and I also think one of the positive things about how England have managed this tournament is the lack of injuries. Um, I think we've seen, all, with, all, with all of the teams left, apart from England really, they've taken a bit of battering in in lots of different ways. That's, you know, some of them have been to extra time, been to penalties, and I think England have done really well to use the squad to conserve energy and not have one of those kind of tournament-defining injuries, touch wood, up to this point. Very true, and, and as I say, there's plenty of good stuff going on on the Athletic at the moment. There's a piece on Raheem Sterling's bus routes as a kid as well by Karl Anker, in, in the style that only Karl Anker can manage so yeah make sure you check that out as well and if you're enjoying these podcasts and enjoy podcasts in general there's also the euro stories podcast on the athletic at the moment the denmark episode is really really good so go and check that out and if you want to read those articles and you're not already subscribed to the athletic then you can do so by going to the athletic.com slash england pod you can sign up right there right final thoughts then back to wembley on wednesday brief thoughts on the denmark game um, yeah, I mean, I have paid a significant amount of money for a ticket to that game. So have I have quite a lot of riding on it. Um, my hopes and dreams, potentially some tears. I might start a crowdfunder, get a bit of extra cash to pay for that ticket as well. Um, but I mean, yeah, all in all, it's definitely obviously going to be a tougher game than Ukraine. I'm still not blown away by Denmark. I think they've grown into this tournament really well. They've grown into this tournament at the right time. They look far better going forward than they did in their first couple of games. Um, but I still think England are better than them. Um, so I'm hoping that the stupid amount of money that I've spent on a ticket doesn't go to waste. All right, three words for you, Flo. The athletic expenses. See, see, see what you can do. See what you can do with them. Yeah, Ali. Yeah, I, I, I thought. I mean, it slightly reminds me of the um, the twenty eighteen situation where the where England had that uh, very tough first knockout game against Colombia, sort of parallel with the Germany game, I guess, and then a fairly sort of a bit of a stroll really in the quarterfinal, Sweden twenty eighteen, Ukraine now. And now facing a, a a talented and perhaps underestimated um, opponent in the semi final, which which was Croatia and, and is now Denmark, and obviously we hope for a different result this time. I think I think England will be favourites. I'm not saying that in a expectant, arrogant way, but I think England will will be favourites because home advantage, because of the elite level. Sort of Champions League experience that, that more of their players have got, and um, I think, um, yeah, it's, I, I would say England. I don't, I, I, I don't want to say it, but yeah, I, I, I do expect England to, to 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 beat Denmark, and that's probably a dangerous place to be because I think 
a lot of this tournament's been about defying expectations and then when expectations get too high that can get harder for people to deliver and um and so on but i i interestingly i, I did a twitter poll on um saturday morning before the game and i said you know will england lose lose the quarterfinal against ukraine you lose the semi-final v denmark or czech republic lose final in spain or italy or will they win it and only 12 percent thought they'd lose last night and um obviously that they're out of the picture already but the 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 main expectation at that point was um, lose semi-final, so lose the final against Spain or Italy. So I think people were expecting them to get past Ukraine, expecting them to get past um, Denmark or, or, well, it's now Denmark in the semi-final. But only 25%, 25.7% at that point were thinking England would win. And I bet that's, I bet that would increase if I did, if I, if I did it now, given given the expectation and optimism that soared after after the um, the, the quarterfinal. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be two massive games, and it felt very very close in 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 twenty eighteen because they were you know they got to the last four. They were it, it felt like a bit of a 50-50 game against um, Croatia, and maybe it's maybe it's similar now. But it, but England will having been in semi finals before and and having yeah got the quality and, and experience of players that they've got I, th I think they will f and, and the home advantage I think they will fancy themselves yeah and it is another semi-final which in itself that is that is progress there's only one way to look at it as positive progress for this England team I think that just about does us I will be back tomorrow that's Monday as we answer your questions and take a first look ahead to that Denmark game in a little more detail but we're going to leave you with this which may delight Flo I'm not sure it will delight Ollie very much at all but if you weren't already convinced that Gareth Southgate is a genius at bringing people together here's the last bit of evidence you need he's reunited Atomic Kitten well played Box Park Croydon Athletic.